We are actually going to do two sermons today. The first hour, uh, I will introduce the topic. But the second hour, I am going to talk about um, how can there exist a God when there's so much evil in the world? Where was God on 9-11? And the, and the first one is, is, they're both apologetics talks. So the first one I'm going to introduce right now. But basically, it starts with the whole concept of what well, my ministry is all about apologetics. And I kind of gave you a brief overview last time I was here. But it all comes from 1 Peter 3.15, which says, Always be prepared to give an apologia to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that word apologia means defense or explanation. So always be prepared to defend your faith, but do it with gentleness and respect. So we get the word apologetics from that, and apologetics is the evidence and defense of the rational faith of Christianity using facts, logic, history, science, philosophy, and reasoning. And I always urge parents that you need to develop a culture of apologetics in your home because the church cannot influence your kids enough. You are the only ones who can influence your kids more than any other group of people. The parents have a 57% influence. The schools and the, uh, and the media have like a 28% influence. And the church has a partly, a, a, you know, like 17% influence or whatever is left of that. So you've got to be involved in developing a culture of apologetics. And what that means is you need to help your kids defend their faith. And it better not be a blind faith. And so today's talk is along the line of that. It's called, Who is Agent X? Proving that it's more reasonable to believe that God exists without using the Bible. So I'm going to talk about how we can prove that God exists. And I'm only going to use the Bible for the first two minutes of this. So if you brought your Bibles, you can put them away. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, you can put them away because we can't, we will not be using the Bible because I want to give you a purely secular argument, a purely scientific argument, because that's what works with atheists. You see, I am an engineer and I live and work with atheists. I don't live, my wife is an atheist, but the people across the street are, right? And so when I engage with them, if I say the Bible says this, they're going to say, I don't care what the Bible says. So I got to approach it from a scientific basis. In fact, the guy who sat next to me for uh, a few years was an atheist from Australia, and he actually helped edit my book about proving God exists without using the Bible. Wow. And it was a way to engage him, right? So and that's how the book evolved. But anyway, so, uh, so today is going to be a bit technical because I'm going to use some scientific concepts, but I don't want you to get scared. It, some of the, you may hear a few concepts that will dazzle your mind. I had a few people go, right? <laughs> Uh, but if you get lost, don't worry about the scientific detail. Just know it's available. But on the other hand, if you do get lost and you really need some help, show this video to your junior high kids because they eat this stuff up and they'll explain it to you. Right? So, um, so if you, but if you get lost in this discussion, just wait till the conclusion. And I'll say, look, all this means this. And that's where you want to be at. So then later on, you'll know, well, I know I can get there from here. So if you're talking to an atheist friend, you say, well, there's this crazy Indian guy who uh, talks about this, here's his book kind of thing, okay? So, okay. <clears throat> now, this is the only time I'm going to use the Bible, okay? This slide. If the Bible is true, what is the greatest miracle ever in the history of man? Some people say resurrection, right? Uh, well, I hate to tell you this, but the resurrection is a measly miracle. It's a measly, easy-peasy miracle compared to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, if this is true, then every other miracle in the Bible is plausible and possible and probable. If God can create something out of nothing, matter, energy, and time out of nothing, he can easily reanimate a dead body, right? 
That's the easiest miracle of all things if he can actually create a universe out of nothing. So this is the only time we're going to use the Bible. Um, here's the second thing. Can the supernatural happen? Is there a supernatural? If you don't believe a supernatural can happen, then you'll never believe any of the Bible's claims, especially not the resurrection. Last time I was here, I talked about the resurrection. But if you don't believe there's a God, if you don't believe anything supernatural can happen, then you, there's no reason for you to believe the resurrection is true. You just think it's a legend, even though I explained historically why it was true. But after today, you will not be able to say there is no supernatural and be scientifically correct, because I'm going to show you scientific evidence of the supernatural. So what will we cover today? We're going to go a lot of stuff today, but first of all, we're going to cover where did the universe come from and what can we derive about the cause of the universe from science. As I said, I will dazzle your mind. I am going to talk about other universes. So to talk about other universes, I want to put it into context. There's our Earth. Our Earth is in the solar system. The solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is in the local group. The local group is in the local supercluster, and the local supercluster is in the universe. When I talk about other universes, I'm not talking about any one of these. I'm talking about another universe. Where are these other universes? They're not part of our universe. They came into being separately, independently. They don't intersect, interact, or interfere with our universe. They're out there somewhere. So, remember all that when we get to it. So now let's get into it. There are four major points. If somebody can grab me a a bottle of water, that would be great. Thanks. There are four major points we're going to cover. The first point is the universe is not eternal. Why is this important? Well, here's why it's important. See, 80 years ago, atheists, those are the people who believe God does not exist, said everything which has a beginning has a cause, and anything that existed forever needs no cause. Now, think about this. Everything that has existed, which has a beginning, has a cause, and anything that existed forever needs no cause. Let's look at the second part. If something has existed forever, it needs no cause. This should be self-evident. Why? Because if something has existed forever, then there was no point at which it did not exist, right? Thank you. And if, it, if there's no point at which it did not exist, then there's nothing that precedes it. There's nothing before it. So there's nothing could have caused it, because to cause something, you have to precede it causally, in cause, or in time, temporally, right? So if everything has, anything has existed forever, it needs no cause. So scientists and philosophers agree that anything that existed forever logically needs no cause. It doesn't mean that it can't have a cause, but it logically needs no cause, because it have a, could have a simultaneous cause. But we're not going to get into that much philosophy. So we come back to this. 80 years ago, atheists said everything which has a beginning has a cause. Anything that exists forever needs no cause. And then the atheists would say the universe had no beginning and existed forever. Because they believed the universe had never been, it has always been there. In which case, they said, therefore, the universe needs no cause. Okay, now, let's look at what the Christians said, the theists said. So at the same time the theists said, point one, they would say the same thing. Everything which has a beginning has a cause, and anything that existed forever needs no cause. Which is exactly what the atheists said. We all agree on that first point. But when you get to the second point, the Christians would say, no, no, no. Well, the universe, I don't know about the universe having no beginning, but God had no beginning and existed forever. So what's the conclusion? If God had no beginning, then what's the third point for Christians? God needs no cause. Therefore, God needs no cause. By the way, this is called the cosmological argument. At this point, I want to warn you about a danger that happens to a lot of Christians who try to repeat this. They confuse the cosmological argument with the cosmotological argument. The cosmotological argument goes like this. Everyone who needs a hairdresser has hair. And anyone that has no hair needs no hairdresser. 
To which the second point is Gandhi has no hair. So what's the third conclusion? Therefore, Gandhi needs no hairdresser. So I just want to make sure you don't get the two confused. It's very embarrassing, you know. So anyway, so back to what the atheist said. So the atheist said, everything which has a beginning has a cause. Anything that exists forever needs no cause, right? Until this guy shows up. This guy's name is Hubble. He was named after the telescope. Okay, he wasn't. The telescope was named after him. But there's Hubble with the pipe. If you ever want to see, if you ever think about Hubble, he's got a pipe. So there he is looking through his telescope, and below him is this Einstein and Adams looking through his telescope. Hubble was looking out at the stars, and he was actually in the L.A. area. This is before L.A. had all the light pollution. So, um, and he was looking through the Hooker telescope. And he realized something. He realized that when he looked out at the different galaxies, some of the galaxies were redder than they should have been. You go, well, how do you know what color they should have been? Well, they'd been doing a lot of studies, and they realized that different galaxies had different, color, uh, had different colors. But he noticed that all the galaxies that were further away were redder. And he goes, I don't know what's going on. So he looked on the other side of the world, and it was true, too. And he, he kept looking, and he couldn't find any galaxies that were far away that were not redder than they should have been. Although there were a few galaxies that were not red, but, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. So he said, I wonder what's going on. And he finally figured out what he was seeing. He was seeing something called the Doppler shift. Now, this is the Doppler shift in cars. If you're standing by the side of a freeway and a car comes towards you, the car is going to sound like this. It's going to go... Well, is the car changing its sound? No, it's the same sound. In fact, the sound that the car is making is the sound that it makes right when it's right in front of you. But what's happening is as the sound, as the car comes towards you, each wavelength is, each sound's wavelength is closer than the last one. So they get compressed. So it sounds like it has a higher pitch. As the car goes away from you, each wavelength is longer because it's, the car is moving. And so you hear a lower pitch. So it sounds like it's going lower. Well, what Hubble realizes he had discovered the Doppler shift Not in cars, but in stars. You see, the red shift that he was seeing, that they were redder, meant that the stars were actually... Hang on, there's a way to do... uh, Isn't there a thing on this, laser on this? There we go. So he realized that the red shift meant that the stars were moving away from us, just like that car moving away from it has a lower pitch. And if it was a blue shift, that means they were coming towards us. He realized that the galaxies were all moving away from us. Now, there were a few that were moving towards us. In fact, we will collide with the Andromeda in a few billion years, so don't worry about that. But, uh, but he realized that the stars were all moving away. And, and he, ta- he brought in Einstein and Adams to look at that, And they realized something, that if all the stars are moving away, all the galaxies are moving away, that means the universe is what? Expanding. But if it is expanding, then it's expanding from something, right? And if it's expanding from something, it can't be infinitely old, or it would have finished expanding eons ago, and all we'd see is the fuzzy light out there, right? Imagine that the universe was eternally old, and then this has been expanding forever. Guess what? We'd look out there, and we'd see nothing but fuzzy light. We wouldn't see galaxies. We wouldn't see stars. And they realized that the universe could not be infinitely old. And so they started calculating the backwards. They said, okay, we know that the speed of light, assuming the speed of light is constant, and some people argue that it isn't, but Einstein said it was. And so uh, we're, we calculate all this stuff. And I actually did, when I was in college, I did the experiments because I have a degree in uh, solid-state physics. So I did a bunch of these experiments, and, and we show that, that light actually is 
constant, at least that it is now. So if we take the speed of light and we, we work backwards, you can actually calculate where everything came together. And calculations show that the universe, light, and matter, and everything suddenly came to being with a big bang about 13.7 billion years ago. Before the big bang, we have what they call the singularity. This is the point at which matter and time start to exist. Uh-oh, Houston, we have a problem. Because guess what? The atheist said everything which has a beginning has a cause. Everything that existed forever needs no cause. The universe had, oh! The universe had a beginning and has not existed forever. What does that mean for point three? Therefore, the universe, what? Needs a cause. But my atheist friends are not so easily discouraged. They said, so what? <laughs> they said, we grant you the universe had a beginning. Fine. But what gave, and we grant you that the Bible said this years ago. But what gave rise to the universe had no beginning. See what they're doing? They're going to push back the problem. Let's say we just push it back. Um, hyperspace or some subatomic quantum particle that existed forever without a cause, that created the universe. That, that existed forever agent, that special agent is just some unknown object. We don't know what it is. You can't call it God. So atheists say, some agent created the universe. My atheists don't like the friend God. So I immediately said, well, it's an unknown agent. Well, we've got to call, call the agent, Agent X, right? Uh, agent X caused the universe. And so today, we are going to be detectives. We're going to put on our detective hats or spy hunting hats, and we are going to find out who is Agent X. Are you ready? Okay, great. Let's, uh, let's first uh, do something. You know, whenever you're trying to, uh, to d- find... Uh, more about a crime or something, you get a big whiteboard and you start writing down all the things you know about each of the thing, of, of the, of the victims, right? You know, you say, well, the victim was killed on May 4th and then, uh, the person, uh, that, uh, the, the witnesses said the person had red hair, uh, brown eyes and was very pretty. Oh no, that's my wife. Never mind. Um, but you know, they, they write down all these things. So we know two things about Agent X, don't we? The first thing we know about Agent X is this agent is powerful enough to create a universe, right? Create the universe out of nothing. Okay. Second, this agent must exist forever without cause because whatever it begins to exist needs a cause. So if this thing has always been there and created the universe, it must have no cause. So we know that. So those are the two things we know. What else can we figure out from the Big Bang? Okay, let's talk about this. Well, let's talk about a little mathematics here. I don't want to scare you, but it's just two slides of mathematics, so bear with me. This is the symbol for infinity, right? So first I'm going to teach you how to subtract with infinity. Okay, infinity minus one equal what? Infinity. Hey, I don't need to teach you anything. You guys know it. Okay. Infinity minus one billion equal what? Infinity. No problem. Now, I didn't put infinity minus infinity because we don't know what it is. Okay? So let's look at dividing with infinity. Infinity divided by one equal what? Infinity, obviously. Infinity divided by one billion equal what? Infinity, right? It doesn't matter what you divide by. It's still infinity. Okay, good. Now, let's go back to the atheists. The atheists say there is... Oops. That's weird. Can you guys, uh, there we go, yeah, it's my whiteboard. The atheists claim there is no evidence that God did this. Agent X, they say, could be something mindless, like a photon. So let's look at this first option. Number one, we have two options, right? The photon is only going to make one universe, then stop. Or option two, the photon is going to make universes on a regular basis, and then stop. 
Or, and then continue. It can't do anything else because it doesn't have a mind. Okay? And think of a machine, right? You can set an alarm clock to go once, to ring once. Or maybe the alarm clock is wiggy and it rings all the time, right? But it can't say, I'm going to not ring, and then suddenly I'm going to ring because I feel like it, and then I'm going to stop ringing, right? So these are the only three things. It's, it's what we call mechanistic. It's a, mecha- it's a machine. It's mechanistic, okay? So let's look at what we have. Okay. So here is the uh, two options. Let's look at option one. This is the universal causality line. Okay, it's kind of hard because you're talking about causality and time at the same time. So eternity passes some way back off the screen. Okay, and this is where I lose a few people, so hang with me on this one. If and like a mechanistic photon, okay, has no free will, has no mind, and let's say it's a, a photon. I use the word photon just because I don't want to use quantum particle or subatomic quantum particle. So photon, right? Uh, and I didn't want to use quark, you know, so just photon. But it's probably not a photon. It's something. We don't know what it is. So it's something out there with no free will, no mind like a mechanistic photon, uh, existed for all infinity outside of time, and was going to create one universe. Right? It was going to create one universe. When would it have created that one universe? Let's say it's existed for all eternity, and it was going to take it a billion years to create that first universe. How old would that universe be? A billion minus infinity is what? A bill, uh, infinity, right? Now let's say it was, it was exists for all infinity and it was going to take a hundred trillion years to create that first universe. Well, how long ago would that first universe, how old would that first universe be? Infinity minus a hundred trillion is what? Still infinity. So it'd still be infinitely old, right? Now what if it was going to take infinite years to create that first universe? Well, then there would be no universe. So, if it was going to create a universe, it would, have take, it would have created that universe eternity ago. But here's our universe, according to scientists, created 13.17 billion years ago. That means that the agent that created the universe could not have created just one universe. It just doesn't make sense, because it would have created that universe eternity past. So, it, the universe, though, is not eternally old, nor is it eternally lasting. Let me clarify this, because this is a confusing concept, and it's a philosophical concept. But here's how you think about it. William Lane Craig, by the way, is a great debater. If you ever want to feel sorry for an atheist, go watch his debates. Okay? You go, oh, man, I feel so bad for you. Uh, he's my hero, okay? Uh, one day I'll grow up to be him. But anyway, it can be plausibly argued that the cause of the universe must be a personal creator. For how else could a temporal effect arise from an eternal cause? For example, if the cause of waters being frozen is the temperature being below zero degrees, then if the temperature were below zero degrees from all eternity, then any water present will be frozen from eternity, right? So if the, it, it just makes sense. I mean, it's not like even if water took a trillion years to be frozen, it would still be frozen from all eternity. Okay, now, however... The only way to have an eternal cause, but a temporal effect, that's an effect in time, would seem to be if the cause is a personal agent who freely chooses to create an effect in time. For example, a man sitting from eternity may will to stand up because he has the free will, hence a temporal effect may arise from an eternally existing agent. Okay? So that's the first thing. Now, what about collapsing and expanding universe? Because maybe the universe is eternally old, but it collapses and expands, collapses, expands. Well, here's the problem with that. If our universe kept collapsing and expanding, after each cycle, residual energy would be left over. We would be, able to, we would be able to measure it, but we don't see any residual energy. So currently, the scientific evidence is against this. Now, I know at this point, some of you are going, but Neil, what about loop quantum cosmology? <laughs> I'll handle that the next one, okay? Take it easy for crying out loud. 
Okay, so we have two options. The first option doesn't work. Let's look at the second option, option two. The universe is making, uh, I mean, the the agent is creating universes on a regular basis. So he's something with no free will, no mind like a mechanistic photon, existed for all infinity outside of time, and was going to create more than one universe. So let's say it was going to create more, because it's like an alarm clock, it keeps ringing. So let's say it was creating universes every trillion years. How many universes would there be? Infinity. Let's say it kept creating universes every, uh, maybe it was a, a, a hundred trillion years. How many universes would there be? Infinity. So therefore, but there's our universe created 13.7 billion years ago. So the only way this second thing would work is if there were infinite universes. Now remember when I said, I'm not talking about our universe. I'm talking about other universes out there. Well, what about infinite universes? So that co- covers loop quantum cosmology. You see, I've told you I'd cover it, right? Because it just, loop quantum cosmology is a concept that says there won't be any extra energy, okay? But it would happen over and over again. It covers atemporal causality. Atemporal means out of time causality. Each of the infinite universes are created at the same non-time 13.5 billion years ago. It covers bud, fractal, spontaneously generated, all these different types of universes. It co- covers even the diminishingly smaller universes where it says, well, here was a big universe and then the next universe is smaller and smaller and, and all the people inside it are smaller and smaller. Anyway, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Although we've proved that doesn't work because there is a, a minimum size in the universe we've figured out. Okay. Uh, there's, you can't get smaller than a Planck's constant. Okay. But here's the question. Are there multiple or infinite universes? By the way, we call this a multiverse. I call it infiniverse, because the multiverse is not enough. You've got to have infinite universes. Here's the problem with it. There is no evidence for this. You can't smell these universes. You can't see them. You can't touch them, taste them, smell them, hear them, calculate, or measure any of the effects of these universes. But my atheist friend who helped edit my book said, I believe in infinite universe. I have to, he said. I said, but think about this. You can't smell these. You can't see these universes. You can't touch them. You can't taste them. You can't smell them. I remember an objection just like this about God. <laughs> right? Isn't this a complaint atheists had about God? You can't see him. You can't touch. You can't calculate him. Well, why is the change of standards, right? This, to me, is blind faith. And you know what my motto is? No blind faith. But here's the other problem with infinite universes. The consequences of infinite universes are staggering. That means there are almost infinite yous out there watching the same presentation with me, and there will be almost infinite yous over and 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 over again. I'll tell you a funny story about this friend. This is a friend of mine. He's an atheist, very angry atheist friend. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit this off the video, but... So I, I presented this, and we were arguing about it. He says, I said, I want to present this to you. I've come up with this argument. I'm writing a book on it. He said, uh, well, I'm babysitting the kids this uh, Friday. Why don't you come over, and we can do it there? I said, it sounds great. The kids can watch. They were you know, teens. So I started doing the presentation. Halfway through the presentation, his son is arguing against the father on my side. He's like, Dad, no, what he's trying to say is this, right? And I was like, right. <laughs> well, what's funny is that two years later, you know, and I did this presentation specifically for him, and I left the picture in because it takes a lot of time to cut and paste those in, in the right place. Anyway, so I, uh, <laughs> so two years later, I'm doing this presentation for a high school group, and a guy says, I know that guy. <laughs> and I said, well, he's a friend of mine. He says, that's my friend's dad. And he said, you're the guy. Oh, my friend thinks you're cool. <laughs> so anyway. Um, but anyway, here's the thing. There's the universe. If there are infinite universes, there's the universe where whenever you toss a coin, it always comes up heads, even if you do it a billion times in a row. There's the universe where you're the one giving me this presentation. 
and I'm sitting right where you are, right? Because even with infinite universes, some universes would not work out, some would, and in every universe, every single possible scenario would take place. But here's the thing. I don't think atheists believe this. And I told this to my friend, my atheist friend who had helped me edit the book. I said, look, I don't think you believe this. He says, why don't you think? I said, imagine this. Let's say we're playing poker. Suddenly you get realized that I just got 10 royal flushes in a row. Okay? And when you jump out and shout, Neil, you're a dirty, rotten cheater. You're cheating. I say, not at all. We just happen to be in that one universe where I always happen to get a royal flush. <laughs> Would you buy that? No, you wouldn't. Then why do you think this is reasonable? So the second option is not possible either. Therefore, the first cause must be a non-mechanistic agent. That means the first cause must have a free will. And we add that to our list. We have it's a non-mechanistic agent. Okay, I just want to cover something real here quick because a lot of people are worried about this. Does the Big Bang contradict Genesis? I'm not going to say anything about this, but I'm going to let some atheists talk about this. Nobel Prize winner, state. Arno Penzias, Nobel Prize winner, said, the best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. It's a non-Christian saying this. Okay, Robert Wilson, another uh, Nobel Prize winner. Certainly there was something that set off. I can't think of a better theory of the origin of the universe to bash Genesis. And then George Smoot, there's no doubt that a parallel exists between the Big Bang as an event and the Christian notion of creation from nothing. You know why it's called the Big Bang? It's because the atheists hated this theory. When it first came out, they would actually wouldn't let you get into colleges if you adhered to this. If you were a professor, you wouldn't get tenure. Why? Because they didn't like it, and they made fun of it, and they called it Fred Hoyle, who just recently passed away. He's the one who came up with, oh, it's that Big Bang theory, and it stuck. Yes, I know. They made a silly sitcom after it, but that's got nothing to do with it. Okay, here's some notes, by the way. The Big Bang is not a good name. The big, it's a big controlled explosion, and I'll explain that. That's a more accurate name, okay? Uh, two, remember the Big Bang is not equal to evolution, right? The Bible describes something identical to the Big Bang. First, there was nothing, then God created everything in a big flash. But the Bible does not say evolution happened. They're two separate issues. Evolution is a theory in crisis today. Though there's much pushback, the Big Bang is not. Okay, when I'm witnessing to atheists, this is what I find. This is my personal experience witnessing to atheists. One, don't get hung up on the six days versus six eons, okay? Because that's how one of the possible explanations. Why? Because they don't care about it, right? They, they accept the Big Bang, they'll go with it, right? Don't get stuck with them trying to put, disprove evolution. It's just way too much work. And my earlier uh, part of my ministry, I would argue for hours against evolution. And then a few months later, they'll have a new piece of evidence, some new scientific finding. And I would have to go study that. And it was just over and over and over. I said, this is way too much hassle. Besides, evolution doesn't disprove God. I don't believe evolution is true, but God could have used evolution. I don't think that's true at all. But so when I talk to uh, atheists, what about evolution? I said, that doesn't help you in any, any way, shape, or form. Okay? So, so you always want, don't, and the second, don't try trying to prove the Bible is accurate. Save that for the next step. If they don't believe God exists, then they don't care about the Bible. Once they believe God exists, or they think, well, I'm going to grant you that God is possible God exists, then they'll say, well, okay, now is it possible that he sent us a book, right? So um, you first want to prove God exists. It's easy enough to use that using the data the atheist already accepts. So let's go to the second point. The second point is the universe is fine-tuned. And this is why I said it wasn't a big bang. It's a big control experiment, uh, explosion. Fine-tuned. The big bang is so fine-tuned that even slight variations would cause instability or collapse or destroy the universe or not allow life. Let me explain what that means. We have these fine-tuning constants that they've calculated. They've figured out that the ratio of electrons to protons 
Had they changed by 10 in 1, to the, 1 in 10 to the minus 37, no stars or planets would form. Um, ratio of electromagnetic force to gravity. If it changed slightly in, in one part to 10 to the minus 40, stars would burn up too fast and no heavy elements. You go, well, those are big numbers. What does that mean? I'll give you an example. Imagine using a recipe that used up 286 million, billion, billion, billion pounds of sugar. Okay? That's equivalent to all the grains of sand on 100 million earths. But it was so sensitive that if you added one more grain of sugar than that exact amount, the whole cake would fall fat or explode or kill anyone who ate it. <laughs> That's what we're talking about, folks. One grain of sand in the equal of 100 million earths, right? Now, let's look at this. The first one is that. It's 100 million years. Earths. The second one is 100 billion earths. The third one is 10 trillion trillion earths. And the last one is 100,000 trillion trillion earths. One Fine grain of sand in 100,000 trillion trillion earths. And you're telling me this is a big bang? Whoever did this big bang knew how to bang it. (laughs) So number four, knowledgeable enough to create a fine-tuned universe. Okay. Let's go to the third point. It seems designed for discovery. So what is this about? Well, the scientific discovery, the middle point, Earth seems to be in a very special location that seems to allow scientific discovery. Now, here is our... There we are. See that? If I move my head, you can see it moving right there. Okay? We are in the, uh, the Milky Way galaxy in the spiral arm. We're in exactly the right place. If we're too low, too deep, or too close into your arms, we'd never be able to see past our own galaxy to discover the Big Bang. There's a lot of other reasons why we had to be there, uh, for radiation and all that. If we'd been out of there, if we'd been out far, like outside the spiral arm, like in outer space with nothing around us, we would be dead because the amount of radiation hitting us would destroy us. Not to mention Jupiter, which is our big vacuum collector that stops all the asteroids from hitting us. But here's the issue. This is our closest nebula, Sharpless 216, 216, okay? If you went outside, let's say we were actually not where we are in the spiral arm, and we were somewhere slightly over, and slightly is relative, right? It's millions of light years. We were slightly over, and we were next to this guy, the tarantula nebula. What if we were close to the tarantula nebula as we were to Sharpless 2216? Well, here's Sharpless 2216. You go out there and you see, and this is how big it looks in the night. It's scale. Two scale, if we suddenly were next to tarantula in the same distance, that would be tarantula. There would be shadows at midnight, it would be bright all the time, okay? In other words, now, imagine looking at that and looking out to discover the Big Bang. Do you, think, do you think Hubble would have been able to find the galaxies in that? Too much light, too much light pollution. We had to be in such a space that we could actually notice that light pollution and still be protected, so even our location had to be fine-tuned. Here's another one. I've got like four or five of them in the book, but I'm just going to go over two of them. Um, Who is this silly patent clerk from Switzerland? Anybody know what his name was? Einstein, Einstein, right? Well, Einstein had a theory, and everybody thought he was a silly man. Uh, He said, light is affected by gravity. So if I've got a light here, and there's a heavy object here, it's going to curve around the light, and here we are sitting there looking at the light. And they said, that's very nice, Einstein, but how can you prove it? He says, well, we just need to find something heavy and see if the light curves around. He says, like a house? No. A mountain? No. A mountain? Like what? Well, the sun would work. Well, there's a problem with the sun, right? You can't move into place. Well, maybe if there was a star behind the sun, we could see how it curved around the sun, right? 
And it would look like it was straight ahead, but we actually we knew where the star was. We could plot it. He said, that's very nice, but how are you going to cover the sun? You've got to cover it with something. We need a right-sized object to cover the sun. It can't be in our atmosphere. It's had to be outside our atmosphere. Too big and we see only black. Too small and it's too bright to see anything else, right? If it doesn't cover the entire sun, you'll see the sun. It's going to cover the star. The star is kind of dim compared to the sun because it's far away. Too far away. If the object is too far away, then our calculations are imprecise. How do we get something? We need something really out there like maybe a, a moon, But the problem is the moon has to be just the right ratios. It would have to be the same distance away from the sun as it is smaller than the sun. And guess what? We have a moon that is 400 times smaller and 400 times closer than the sun. And Einstein's theory was proved, at least that part of it. And from then, it went from success to success. You see, I would say somebody out there, right, And by the way, there is no other galaxy or no other solar system where we've seen the same relationship to a moon, a satellite moon, and its planet. It's only ours that has this relationship. All the other ones are either too big, too far away, or too small, right? Okay, so therefore, item number five is he wants us to discover him using science. Okay, let's do the last one. There are dimensions. Now, I kind of gave you a hint of this last time. So, honey, so hopefully this will prepare you for the shock. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, for brief moments after the Big Bang, we can calculate there were 10 dimensions, if not more. These disappeared to our senses after 10 to the minus 23 seconds. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what are 10 dimensions? Well, we know height, length, and width, right? There is a fourth dimension. Do you guys know what that is? Time. Time is a fourth. It's a half a dimension because you don't go one way in it. You can't go backwards in it. Okay. So at the Big Bang, there was also a fourth spatial dimension, a fourth dimension in space. In fact, there were up to ten dimensions totally, so there were six other spatial dimensions. And you go, wow, how do I... Okay, let me watch this video. to Flatland, a world of only two dimensions, only forwards and backwards, left and right. In this world, there is no up and no down. I said to Ray, where's Dottie? He said, well, she's out in line. I said, <laughs> <laughs> What the bleep is that thing? In this world, the two-dimensional beings that live here have no concept of three-dimensional objects. These two-dimensional flatlanders have no understanding of cubes, spheres, tetrahedrons, or yours truly. From their 2D perspective, my 3D finger looks something like this. <gasps> what the flatter is that? Run! <laughs> Hello, little circle. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> 
fear of the unknown, or should I say, not yet known. It's a puzzle. If we see only what we know, how does anyone ever see anything new? The unknown, how do we ever get out of our box? Hello, little circle. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Who said that? Where are you? This is always the tricky part to explain. I'm in another dimension, another space. I am above you. Ah! Never, never use that word. What word? The A word. Above? Well, what do you think it means? I don't know, and I don't want to know. You can be severely punished if you use that word. <gasps> Are you a ghost? <laughs> I hope not. I just have a different perspective than you do. I can see things in a way you can't yet. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well... Okay, you have a safe hidden in your pantry. <laughs> and inside it, you have 12 coins, a will, and a passport. How did you know that? What are you? Are you a god? Well, nope. You see, since I am above you, <laughs> in the third dimension, I can see inside things in your world dimension you are a crazy ghost there's only two look <laughs> so if I were to touch the inside of your stomach how would I do that well you'd have to cut through my skin otherwise it's impossible <laughs> For more? More what? Dimensions. Oh. Directions. Uh, no. Yes, but. Oh. But there aren't any. More? 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 What will happen to me? What will I become? You'd have to become it to know. Okay. Excellent. Isn't it funny? That which we are most afraid of is what thrills us the most. Dimensions. Directions. By the way, the movie, that's from a very new age movie, so I don't recommend the movie that it comes from, but uh, it's a great example. Uh, but let's go into some more detail. If you were a two-dimensional creature, to you, you would not understand a cube, right? 
because you only have two dimensions. There's no up or down for you. So, but I could take that cube and I could unfold it to you, and I could unfold that cube from this, and it would look like this, right? It has six sides. What if I had a four-dimensional cube? What would it look like? By the way, we call that a hypercube. So how many sides would it have, and what would it look like? Well, here's the problem. With a four-dimensional cube, we are only three-dimensional, so we can't comprehend what a four-dimensional cube would look like. So maybe like the two-dimensional creatures, if we can unfold the four-dimensional cube, we'd actually see what it looks like. So what we need to do now is we need to unfold that four-dimensional. We'll take it out of the four-dimensions. I'm going to unfold it so we can see what it looks like in three dimensions, right? Well, how would it look? What would it look like? Can you guys imagine what that would look like? Well, we have some clues, right? Well, here's the first clue. A square is a two-dimensional cube, right? It's a two-dimensional cube. A cube is a three-dimensional cube. So a square is two-dimensional. And how many sides does the square have? Four sides. Each side is a line. Okay? Well, a cube is a three-dimensional cube. And how many sides does it have? Six sides. And each side is a square. So a hypercube, or a tesseract, is a four-dimensional cube. How many sides does it have? Well, actually, it's eight, because it's just increasing by two, because every dimension adds another two. Now, if the type of side was a line in the first one and a cube, it's a square, each side's a square, what do we have now? The hypercube has how many, eight, how many what? Cubes. It has eight cubes. And what does that look like? So we're about to unfold a hypercube is what it looks like. See the eight sides? And they're all cubes. You go, well, that, how does it fold up together? We have no idea. We can't comprehend it because it's a multidimensional concept. But there are some things we can do. So here is a three-dimensional cube drawn in two dimensions, right? So we notice that these two sides are the same size. But with the way I draw them, the way they're drawn, they look like they're different because of perspective. Now, if I were to take that cube and I were to rotate, uh-oh, this might not work. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, we'll, yep. This is, uh, I should, we should have checked the GIF. Okay. Well, folks, we'll have to go online, and I'll have to show it to you. But basically, it shows you how the cube rotates in our space. Okay? So you're going to have to go to my website and look at it. So it's noblindfaith.com. We'll make sure it's up there. Uh, but basically, what we do is we show the hypercube actually rotating in our space. And I'm kind of worried that this next slide also may not work. So, yeah, it's not. So I'm going to have to explain this. So what's happening here in a three-dimensional, in a two-dimensional space? If I have a sphere, right? and I drop the sphere through this plane, <clears throat> the first thing the sphere hits is going to hit a point here, right? Then the sphere will go through, and this guy's, these guys, the two-dimensional guys, will see a small circle. Then it'll keep growing until it's the, the diameter of the entire uh, sphere, and then it'll start shrinking back down until it's a point, and it'll disappear again, right? So that's what a two-dimensional creature would see with a three-dimensional sphere. What if I had a four-dimensional sphere called a hypersphere? If I brought a hypersphere into our dimension, what would I see? Similar to that, we'd see a point. It would first intersect, we'd see a point, right? That point would become a small sphere as it moved into our dimension. That sphere would go to the full size of it in the three-dimensional space, so it would grow, and then it would shrink out, and then it would disappear again. And the whole time, it would look like it was flying in midair, right? What if I were to step into a two-dimensional plane? Just to put my two-dimensional creatures, I would have put my fingers there. Right? They'd see one finger. They'd think I was one person. Then they'd see three fingers. They'd go, oh, that's three people. But then they'd realize as they went up here, they'd realize, oh, wait, it's just one hand. And they'd start seeing different parts of me as I went through. And it would look really weird. What if there were creatures in other dimensions and they were intersecting our space? 
what would it look like? They would appear, they would shimmer, they would take this form, and they'd disappear. And the whole time, it would look like they were flying in midair. Now, let me ask you what the consequences of this is. What does it mean? Well, one, what is a wall to a two-dimensional being? Let's say I was a two-dimensional being, and there was a wall here, right? What's a wall? It's a line, right? Now, if I want to go through that wall, I can't. I have to go around. But what if that wall was four walls, a square? The only way as I, as a two-dimensional creature, could go in was I'd have to open a door and walk in and then close the door. And once the door was locked, the two-dimensional creature could not get out, but you as a three-dimensional creature could do what? Just hop, right? Well, let me ask you this. How did Jesus get into the upper room? He stepped over it because he had a multidimensional body, right? Well, what about angels and demons? How do we explain angels and demons? Where do they go when they're not here? Other dimensions. They intersect our dimensions and they leave, right? You see, start seeing this. See, the science says there's a supernatural dimension, by the way. Now, I don't want you to get confused. God is not in the supernatural dimension. He's in the extra-natural dimension. He's outside the universe. All these creatures are still inside the universe. God is outside the universe. The the guy in the video would not be a representation of God because he's inside the dimensions too. He's inside three dimensions. That would be a representation of an angel or a demon, that intersection. See, and so what does that mean about heaven and hell? Other dimensions? Maybe. I don't know. But here's the thing. You should know that you don't have a soul or a spirit. You go, what? Heresy. No, none of you, unless you're sick with soul, because some people mix the two together, some people don't separate. But none of you have a soul. You are a soul. You happen to have a body. You are the soul. The soul is you. It is a multidimensional entity. Your body is a three-dimensional entity. And just like you drive a car, when you get out of the car, the car may be dead, but you're not dead. So in the video, the guy peeled a little thing out. In reality, she would, he would have left a little case behind, a little two-dimensional shell behind, if you will. And all her friends would thought, oh, she's dead. But no, she isn't dead. Who she is continues to exist. Huge theological implications. And then you go, well, Neil, Neil, this is, this is all science fiction. What's it like to die, right? This is all science fiction. No, it isn't, you know, because they built a large hadron collider in Switzerland just to gut, send a particle into the fifth dimension. By the way, this is uh, now one of my favorite paintings by Salvador Dali, drawn in 1954, mind you. What is it? When you ask Salvador Dali, he says, this shows that Christ died for all men in all dimensions. And there is the hypersphere. See that? Now, why is this important? This is important because this means Agent X must be outside of time and space and outside of the universe. Why? Because prior to the singularity, time and space do not exist, nor do these other dimensions. So whatever caused the singularity did so outside and previous to time and space and any dimensions existing, it's not multidimensional, but extra-dimensional. That means what? Agent X, number six, is what? Not constrained by time or space because it caused time or space. So these are the six things we know about Agent X. And we derive them from these four things. The universe is not external. It's fine-tuned. It seems designed for discovery. There are dimensions. And so now let's look at these things. Agent X. We know six things about Agent X. Powerful enough to create a universe. What do we call that? We call that omnipotent. 
Not constrained by time or space. Cause time and space. That means where is God? God is everywhere. Omnipresent. Knowledgeable enough to create a fine-tuned universe. What do we call that? Omniscient. He wants us to discover him using science. We call it personal. Exists forever, time and cause. Eternal and created. Non-mechanistic agent means he has a free will and a mind. Ladies and gentlemen, if you put that together, eternal and created, has free will, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, personal. I don't know about you, but this is what I call God. And did I use the Bible in that? Or did I instead prove that the Bible knew what it was saying all along? Now, I want to wrap up with a quick question that people ask. Where did Agent X slash God come from? What was before God? Two questions. Now, here's what we have to remember. 80 years ago, atheists said everything that has a beginning has a cause, anything that exists forever needs no cause. Okay? The singularity. So prior to singularity, time and space do not exist. Okay, so, what was before? Agent X created space, created time, God is outside space and time. What is this? How does this answer our question? Here's the answer. What was before God? This is a stupid question. Why? Because there was no before, before God created time. The word before has no meaning if there is no time. Right? And where did God come from? Same thing. There was no from before God created space. God cannot come from anywhere because there was no space before God created space. By the way, I know this is really tough for you all to remember, so I, I wrote a book. It's a short book. has a bunch of objections in the back. If you uh, want to share this with an atheist, it's best to just give them a book, right? Uh, oh, we have the video, too, back there. And then uh, my daughter and I wrote a little kid's version of this that deals with the first thing. There's uh, my daughter there. You'll see her in the back selling books. And uh, there's me looking really skinny and svelte. I like that. But we have that book out there, too. So anyway, uh, I want to wrap up with this. If God is outside of time, and here's the thing that a lot of people forget. There was a show with uh, Bill Maher, and he had it called Religious or something. And he mocked. He says, oh, yeah, we're supposed to believe that God listens uh, to all six billion of our prayers. He's going to listen to all six billion of our mutterings all the time. He'd go crazy. So it turns out that C.S. Lewis had actually answered all this, this question years ago. C.S. Lewis, writing in the 50s, he said, God can listen to all of our six billion of our prayers at the same time. He can tend to each one of us individually. C.S. Lewis says, suppose I'm writing a novel. I write, Mary laid down her work. Next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who has to live in the imaginary time of my story, there is no interval between putting down the work and hearing the knock. But I, who am Mary's maker, do not live in that imaginary time at all. Between writing the first half of that sentence and the second, I might sit down for three hours and think steadily about Mary. I could think about Mary if she was the only character in the book, and for as long as I please, and the hours I spend in doing so would not appear in Mary's time, the time inside the story at all. In other words, when you are up here singing praises to God, you are doing an individual concert for the God Almighty. If you're studying, if you're praying, you have his undivided attention. And so when we praise and worship, we should remember he is devoting his attention to us at that moment in all eternity. Now, if God is outside of time and space, asking that you find God in creation is like Hamlet running about on stage expecting to find Shakespeare somewhere in the props. The only way Hamlet could find Shakespeare is if Shakespeare had written himself into the play. Yet, through the Old Testament, through Christ, and by creating the world for discovery and science, God has done exactly that. Thank you very much.